What they are is um, basically they're the series that we've just had, and it's just basically a, um, uh, I guess, a, uh, a point list that it might be called. Just literally lists all the different things we've discussed over the last couple of weeks concerning how to hold your tongue or when to hold your tongue. It has 11 things listed, when you should hold your tongue 11 different times, as well as uh, a couple of things, when we should open our mouth. We'll get to that today maybe. All right, so put that back on the Welcome Center. There's about 75 of those if you want one. You can grab one. If you don't take them, well, we'll use them for scrap paper. So either way, it'll get used one way or the other, right? So take a look at that. If you're interested, you're welcome to grab one, okay? James chapter 3 tonight. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. We're going to look through verse 6, okay? And again, we've been utilizing these, uh, this passage for this whole series, I guess you would call it. And uh, we're just going to look at it today. We have a couple more to cover, and then I'm going to give you just a couple of times when you, when you shouldn't hold your tongue. And we'll just touch on that very briefly tonight. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Thank you, Cody. <clears throat> the Bible says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, 
A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6 are some verses that we've used for the last couple of weeks in this particular series, When to Hold Your Tongue. We noted the pattern. We said little things direct large things. Little things direct large things. We noted the power. We said that the tongue is small, but it is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. We talked about the fact that a forest fire starts with just a spark, and as a result, a lot of trouble can begin with just a little slip of the tongue. You have to be so awfully careful. So we saw the pattern, the power, but we noted the perversion as well. We said that ultimately, it's a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The Bible says it defiles our whole body. <clears throat> it it's, it per, perverts our entire body in that sense. It defiles our whole body. It says it sets on fire the course of nature. It means it gets everything going. Again, we've met, said this already, but let's face it. All you have to do is look at maybe churches or workplaces or homes, and you can see how the tongue has wrecked and ruined so many. It's set on fire of hell. So the real origin of a wicked tongue is hell itself. And that's what we've noticed through this course and through this particular uh, series that we've been involved in. We said a couple of times, when should we hold our tongue? When should we do that? We said, well, when you're tempted to flatter a wicked person. We said that if you're supposed to be working, you ought to hold your tongue. If in the heat of anger, in the heat of anger, hold your tongue. Um, when you don't have all the facts, hold your tongue. Now, that's more than not, by the way. When you're tempted to joke about sin, when you're tempted to joke about sin, sin's no joke, so hold your tongue. If you would be ashamed of your words later, we said you ought to think before you speak. If you'd be ashamed of your words later. Then we began last week and we said, before we make a vow or a promise we will not keep, we ought to hold our tongues. We ought to hold our tongues. And then finally, yes, last week, <clears throat> we said, oh, no, we didn't. It wasn't just finally. It was next to finally. <laughs> when you are tempted to tell an outright lie. When you're tempted to tell an outright lie. And then we said, finally, if your words will damage someone's reputation or destroy a friendship, you ought to hold your tongue. And so tonight we want to begin afresh and anew, and we're going to discuss a couple of others. We have two more to discuss, and then we're going to just consider very quickly sometimes that we ought... We shouldn't hold our tongue, shouldn't, you know, uh, be quiet. And we're going to look at that tonight, very briefly tonight as well. Well, listen, let's have a word of prayer tonight, and we'll just move ahead very quickly. Father, we love you. <clears throat> Again, it's our great privilege to gather here in this place. Thank you for that song, Lord. Uh, what a day that will be. And, Lord, the guys did a great job, and we're excited, Father, just to be a part of it. Lord, just to hear those parts and to, just to, to think about heaven, Lord. What a wonderful thing that is. And, Lord, uh, <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for the congregations and for the choir and, Lord, just for the time, that, that time of prayer to, to focus on our prayer list. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with each of them. But, Lord, be with us tonight as well. We are, we are desperate people, needy people. Oh, God, speak to our hearts. Lord, we cry out to you today. I know I do, asking, Lord, that you'd speak to me and through me. Lord, I truly am needy tonight. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would allow me to be your mouthpiece, stand in my shoes and... Father, may you be seen and not me. And, Lord, I just pray that you'd guide my lips and, Father, my tongue. And that, Lord, you'd be with every listening ear. And may we be filled with your spirit. May we receive that which is from you. Oh, God, help us. We need you. This is not just some rote, repetitious uh, activity that we do coming to church. Lord, we come here for a reason. 
We want to glean and we want to grow and we want you, Father, to just be real in our lives. So, Lord, we ask tonight that you do just that. We'll give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> when do we or when should we hold our tongue? As we've mentioned a number of things already, let's continue now. Well, we ought to hold our tongue when we are feeling critical. When we're feeling critical. Critical. This one's going to hit all of us, okay? This is, every one of us need to be very careful with this. When we're feeling critical. Now, I use James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, and I used it um, <clears throat> because basically, you'll get it here in a second. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to so to be. Blessing and cursing. We've got good things to say and bad things to say. It comes out of the same mouth. You know, and we've got to be so careful with that. A critical spirit, a critical spirit ultimately cr affects the tongue. That's all there is to it. When you're feeling critical, keep your mouth shut. You're not going to say anything positive. You're going to be very negative and very critical. Be very careful. Take your Bible, look over the book of Exodus. Sometimes we look past some of the uh, examples the Lord's given us. And we often look at things like uh, maybe the Old Testament, even if we do, and we say, boy, those, those, those Israelites were a bunch of losers. I mean, look at these guys. I mean, what in the world are you going to do with a group like this? How are you going to handle them? I mean, what do you expect out of them? I mean, they're, they're a mess. I mean, th here's God, you know, doing a supernatural work in their life. Here's God supernaturally delivering them out of Egypt. Here's God giving them freedom from bondage. I mean, here's God doing something that he had never done in the history of, of mankind. I mean, we're seeing these plagues and we're watching God miraculously work and move and he delivers them out of Egypt miraculously, supernaturally. And what happens? Well, let's read in Exodus chapter 14, right after they leave, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. Now, in chapter 14, verse 10 of Exodus, that's fine. I, there's nothing wrong with the fact that the children of Israel were afraid because the children of Egypt were following after them. We understand that. Fear is natural. It's normal. But, but here's the problem. Notice what happens. They had just been supernaturally delivered. They just watched God move with a mighty hand, and here they are now at the the, the, the Red Sea, and here are the Egyptians coming upon them, and we continue to read there in the passage. It says, They lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. That's good. That's good. Hold on, though. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? There weren't enough graves in Egypt. You had to bring us out here to die. Well, what's your problem, Moses? Are you kidding me? We could have stayed there. We could have died there. At least we were comfortable there. At least we had something to call our own. Here we're going to die in the wilderness? You can't bring us out here. For what? You know what that was? Critical spirit. And then the critical, critical spirit turned into a critical tongue. 
Next thing you know, here they are damning their leader. Next thing you know, here they are whining and crying again. Here they are, nothing's good enough. I mean, God just did something supernatural. God can't do it again. You know what I'm saying? Hold on. Oh, it's not done yet. How'd how'd that all turn out? Well, we know how that turned out, right? God did what? Supernaturally intervened again. Did what God does. But how did they respond? Look at chapter 16 now. And God delivers them there. Now, how do they respond to that? Look at chapter 16, verse 1. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, good place to be, which is between Elam and Sinai of the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. 15th day of the second month. They haven't been gone too awfully long, about eight weeks. I mean about ten weeks. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel... Now, wait, think about that for a minute. Would you think about that with me for a minute? They got delivered out of Egypt ten weeks ago. They got delivered at, at, at this Red Sea, following that even. And now here they are, just a month and a half, two months later. Here they are now. And the Bible tells us, verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the land of the, uh, the, the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. Really? Is that how it really was? Isn't that funny? That's a good point to bring out right there, isn't it? Isn't it funny that ten weeks after you left Egypt, ten weeks after you've left Egypt, you already remember Egypt being this wonderful place. I thought you were excited to leave Egypt. I thought you were in bondage in Egypt. I thought you were enslaved in Egypt. I thought that it was a negative, nasty, horrible place to be. I thought that you cried to God for 400 years until finally He delivered you. That's what I thought. At least that's what the Bible says. But hold on. Here's what the people say. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. Oh. When we, and when we did eat bread to the full. Oh, we never went hungry there. The food was delicious. Plenty to eat. For ye have brought us forth unto this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Amazing. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. Isn't that how it is? That's how we are. The moment things start going bad, everything that was bad seemed so good in the past. Boy, I remember it was good being single. Wow. Being single, man, I remember those days. You mean after you got married and had a bad marriage? It, you remember. But when you were single, you were miserable because you wanted to be married. You, you know how we forget things. It's funny how we are. But, but look how critical. Look how cynical. Look how negative these people are. This is unbelievable to me. After seeing God's hand work miraculously at the Red Sea, after watching God move supernaturally in Egypt, and now God provides the manna supernaturally. Notice Exodus chapter 17. What are we going to do with Egypt? What a bunch of losers. 
Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. Here they go. They leave sin, the wilderness of sin, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And they go again. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. What in the world's going on here? It seems to me we got some pretty critical spirits that turn into some pretty critical mouths. Tongues that are lashing and hurting, ultimately the point where they're trying to raise up a people who will murder and kill their leader. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that that something? What What a wonderful people Moses led. It's not done yet, though. Let's see where it ultimately ends up. Look over at Exodus 32 real quick. Oh, I remember how good it used to be. Remember that church when we were up on the hill? It was really good then. Those were the days. We didn't have any problems then. Everybody loved each other there. Nobody ever left the church there. I just, just wondered if maybe we got a few critical spirits here. Maybe a few tongues that need to be held. Hold on, let's keep going. You say, boy, you're getting pretty personal. Absolutely, I hope it hurts. Exodus 32, 1 through 4. And when the people saw... I was talking to somebody about a chiropractor the other day, and they said, it hurts so good about a chiropractor. They said, you know, he, he, and they were like, oh. It hurt so good, they said. Well, that's what we want the Bible to do. We want it to hurt so good. Uh, but anyway, Exodus 32, 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings. What a loyal, loyal brother which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You know where a critical spirit always ends up ultimately? Worshiping false gods. Amen. That's where it always ends up. Because you know what a critical spirit always does? It can never find a place to trust people. Never trust people. So ultimately, it cannot trust God. Let me tell you something. You better be real careful with a critical, cynical spirit. Because it will lead you places you do not want to go. It will lead you places you do not want to go. And it will hurt those around you. Think about how many people suffered 
because of those few, I don't know how many few there were, but the mixed multitude we know for sure that were critical and cynical, that had feelings of that critical spirit in their heart, those feelings of criticism, and they voiced that criticism without having real foundation for doing so. I'm telling you what it cost them. I just want you to be very careful. And let me say this again. The tongue is very dangerous. Think about young Christians the next time you open your mouth and you're critical about something that's going on in your marriage, in your family, in your life, possibly even in the church that you, you perceive as critical or negative. It may not be, but you may perceive that. Let's be very careful because young Christians do not understand. When you say that there's a problem in your marriage, they look and say, well, isn't God bigger than your marriage? You hurt, your, you hurt people, young Christians, that believe God's big enough to fix problems. And you start sharing how your wife's a mess and your husband's a joker and this is a screwed up and I go to that church and I, we tried to see the pastor and my husband won't listen to him and blah, 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 blah. And just be careful with that. You be critical about your husband or your wife, you're about your kids, your family. Being critical to people that are young in the Lord, I tell you, you'll hurt them. You'll hurt them. You'll take away every hope that they have for the Christian life. You'll steal every joy that they have. Steal it all from them. Well, what's the point of trying? He's a good Christian. He can't even get his marriage working. I'm wasting my time trying. I'm telling you, just be careful with that critical spirit, whether it's even critical about someone you know, you love, maybe if it's even yourself. Be careful how critical you are about things. Words. In order to uncover uh, the, the, the processes that destroy unions or marriages... Marital researchers, they, they've studied some things over the course of years, even over the course of decades. And what they've done is they've tried to retrace the, the steps of those that have split up, uh, you know, back to their, their wedding days. So they've watched people that have ended up separating. They've kind of tried to go back and see what would have caused that. How, how did they end up or arrive at the place where they were split up, where they were no longer together? And what they discovered was rather unsettling. What they found was that none of the factors that you would guess might predict a couple's durability actually does. Um, it was, I mean, how in love the newlywed couple seemed to be, how, how much affection they exchanged, um, how much they fought or what they fought about even. That, that really wasn't what they found to be the, the, the real factors. What they found, in fact, was that couples that will endure and those who... Um, that won't endure, that won't make it, look very similar, remarkably similar. Similar. I mean, they were very much the same early on in their, 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 their dating and then ultimately their early married years. But when psychologists Cliff Notorious and, uh, of Catholic University and Howard Markman of the University of Denver studied newlyweds over the first decade of marriage, here's what they found. They found a very subtle but telling difference at the beginning of the relationship. Here's what they found. Among couples who would ultimately stay together, five out of every 100 comments made about each other were put-downs. Were put-downs. Five out of every 100 were put-downs. Among couples who would later split, 10 of every 100 comments were insults. So 10 out of every 100 were insults versus 5 out of every 100. Now that gap magnified over the, the, the following decade until finally couples, 
that were heading down here, downhill were flinging or sharing five times as many cruel and invalidating comments at each other than those happy couples were. So what we're saying basically is this. When you get critical and you get cynical about your mate, you're on your way to divorce. That's the bottom line. You better be real careful about how you speak about them and how you view them. Now, when you take your mate and you can't look at them and, and point out the good and all you can see is the bad, and that's how you then ultimately begin to express that, whether it's to others or to them, let me tell you something. According to the statistics, you are in real trouble. You want to know something? Biblically, God's been trying to prove that and say that to us forever. Husbands, love your wives as your what? Selves. Who goes around going, I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, I'm a jerk. You may say that sometimes when you mess something up. You know, I find myself doing that. I'm the biggest idiot in the world. I think that sometimes when I do something stupid. You say, you say that? Yeah, I have said that. I've said that at least three times in my life. No, I'm joking. But I've, I, I've said that a few times. You know, I'm just like, oh, you're so stupid. Mark, why are you so stupid? I, mean, I don't know. You may never do that because you're always right. I don't know. But I, I find myself doing that sometimes. Now, listen. That's one thing. I don't, but I don't like to go around saying that all the time. You're such a loser, Mark. You're a nobody. You're a big zero. You know, I, I don't really do that a lot. Okay? Someone says, well, I feel that way about myself all the time. I need a self-esteem course. Uh, no, no, I could, I could prove to you that you love yourself more than I love myself because, but I don't want to go there but right now, but, but uh, because you do that to yourself. But anyway, that's called self-loathing, and, and the only way you self-loathe is if you really love yourself. So anyway, moving on. But nonetheless, <clears throat> that's called whatever. But, but um, all I'm saying is be careful because these critical words will, will affect your relationship. They'll do that. Now listen, here's what happens. Watch. It, it works in the church too, doesn't it? Someone comes through the door of the church. They love it. This is awesome. I love the choir. I love the specials. I love that preacher. I love these people. I love it. You know what? It's going really good. And all of a sudden, it seems that something changes over maybe the next three or four years or five years. Maybe they got hurt by somebody or a friend of theirs maybe left the church or they didn't understand what was going on in a life or a situation and obviously the pastor couldn't tell them the whole truth because it's none of their business. And they just assume something changed. And then all of a sudden they get a little critical. Well, the choir doesn't sound as good as it used to. Well, what happened to them? I guess it's probably because that new choir director, that pastor's son, he had to hire his own kid. Am I saying things that maybe happen in churches? Yeah. Uh-huh. See, I'm not stupid either. No, I'm stupid. But anyway. <laughs> but you know, things happen, and next thing you know, they get critical, get cynical. And guess what, what, what happens to their relationship to the church? Next thing you know, they're bumming. I've got to go to church again. What happened between the time five years ago or three years ago and now? A critical spirit crept in. And that critical spirit became greater and greater because the more you, the, if it's five, and then you let it get to six, and then seven, and eight, and ten, pretty soon it's so critical that now you see nothing good. And you know what? Your marriage is the same way. Your kids, don't look at your kids. Be very careful you don't get too negative on your children. Because you know what? You'll feed that to them. That's all they'll feel. 
they're going to feel that way anyway, even if you're not negative. To some degree, they like to feel that way. It's me against the world. You know, that, they like that stuff. But they feed on it. You know, it's, I don't know what it is about young people. They like it. Don't you love that? But anyway, um, Cody's not shaking his head down here. But anyway, he's the exception to the rule. Nate was shaking his head. Yeah, I know what you mean, preacher. No, he wasn't. I'm joking. But, <clears throat> but you know, we do have to be careful with that, okay? So be very careful. When you're feeling critical, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue because you're probably going to say something critical. And you know what? That's only going to breed more critical spirit in you, and it's going to hurt others around you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt your family. You'll hurt your children. How many parents have ruined their kids for the faith because they were critical about the church? They're critical about the program. They're critical about the leadership. They're critical about the... They're critical, critical, critical. Next thing you know, they're going, my kid doesn't want nothing to do with church, and I don't understand it. They'll never come here. Well, why would they? My goodness, this horrible picture you paint. My goodness. I'd stay as far away from people like that as I could. If I, heard, if, I, if I went to a person's house at this church and I heard them speaking negatively about the leadership or about this ministry, I'd never go back there again until they apologized to me and I could say, oh, have you changed your ways? Because I'm not coming there, nor am I letting my children around your kids. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't let it happen. I would let them poison my family. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Pastor. You're the best. You've saved us a lot of hurt and heartache. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us. <clears throat> So negativity and criticism are very destructive. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking a lick. I get, I, I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm joking. I, I, I didn't hang around people that were negative at work about work because I didn't want to get negative about work. You want to get negative about work? You go you talk to your friends and do what you're going to do. I'll go eat lunch by myself. I don't need that junk because I'm having hard enough times working here, let alone feeding me all this stuff and me thinking that it's even worse than it is. I, I just that way with work even. But anyway... When it's time to listen, when it's time to listen, hold your tongue. Now, this, this is big, too. Proverbs 13, 1. This is going to talk about young men, but this is true for all of us. A wise son, Proverbs 13, 1, heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Have you ever tried to tell somebody something and help them? and they won't shut up long enough to listen? You say, that's a horrible thing. You said, shut up. We don't say that in our house. Don't say it in your house. <clears throat> they won't be quiet and listen. Is that better? Does that drive you crazy? Like, can I just share this with you? And they're going, well, I just don't. Can, would you let me at least, can I just tell you, when it happens from a young person of ours, our, one of our kids, we're going, now you be quiet. I do. Why? Because we can't stand that. It's like, you're so disrespectful. You ought to be listening to me. You ought to realize that I have years of experience. Now, you may not have said that, but you're thinking it. But you want to know something? When we're talking to others and they won't listen at work or whatever place and there's legitimately an issue and you're trying to help somebody and they won't listen, that's a terrible thing. Sometimes we just need to hold our tongue. And listen, a wise son heareth his father's instruction. You young men, listen to your dads. You don't always have to agree with everything they say, but you ought to be quiet and listen. You'd be wise to listen. It says a wise son heareth his father's instruction. It doesn't say his father's wise instruction. You don't have to agree with everything your parents teach you and say. You're a human being. You're going to have an opinion. 
You just don't always air it. <laughs> you just kind of keep it to yourself sometimes. And if you see that there's something unscriptural and biblical about what you're being told, then you remember that and you learn not to do that when you get older. You learn from people two ways, what to do and what not to do. But you can't learn by talking. You learn by listening. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 7 says, To everything there's a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. He goes on to say, A time to keep silent and a time to speak. I want to encourage young people here in the room, younger people, please learn to keep silent. Listen to adults. I know we grow up in a society today where kids are treated like adults, where they have a right to speak just as much as any adult does. You'd be wise, young men and young ladies, to be quiet and listen. To quit trying to tell everybody what you know and instead listen to hear what everybody else knows. You'd be wise to do that. See, when I grew up, I was taught when you're in a group of adults, you keep your mouth shut. You do not speak till you're spoken to. Somebody says, that's wrong. You can believe what you want. But listen, last time I checked, my bills are paid. Last time I checked, I, I'm, still, I'm still doing all right. Last time I checked, I, I'm still holding a job. Last time I checked, Come on. things are going okay in life. My family's still together. God's still blessing. I'm just looking around me and I'm watching what this is producing, this mentality and this spirit that we're teaching our kids. The Bible says, you hear this instruction of your father. There is a time to keep silent. Let me tell you, a time to keep silent is when you're around other people that have more experience in life than you. That means people that are older. I'm not talking about a 15-year-old or 16-year-old that's a year older. I'm talking about when you get around a brother Rick Wetzel and you're going soul winning, I'm not telling him how to win souls. I'm listening to him. Now, you get where I'm going with this, folks? Can I, can, I, can I say that and be okay? I mean, is everybody okay here? All right? I think it's important. I get around a brother Rigo. I'm one of you young men. I'm listening. I'm saying, hey, what, what, you know, give me some pointers on the Christian life, brother. Listen. I, I, I'm, I'm out with Mr. Jurgen picking up scrap or doing something. I'm saying, hey, brother, you know, can you give me some suggestions about prayer? And, and just listen. Just listen. Well, I'm going to tell you my prayer life. Here's what I do. And, brother, I'm telling you, it works. And I read this book, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm listening. And if he asks me a question, I'll answer it. And I, he may want to hear what I've been doing. That's good. I'm just saying listen. Because sometimes it's better to hold our tongue. On a, a windswept hill in uh, English country courtyard stands a drab gray slate tombstone. Here's what it, The quaint stone. It bears the, the epitaph of, an, uh, uh, of, of somebody. I mean, you'd have to look pretty hard to see it. It's kind of covered up now. But the faint etch, et, etchings read this. It says, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> Obviously, everywhere she went, she was talking. Talking constantly. Okay? You know, there's a time to hold our tongue. When, when it's time to be silent, hold your tongue. When you're at school and you're supposed to be listening to the teacher, then hold your tongue. Don't talk to your buddies. You know, I mean, it's basic, simple stuff. When the police officer pulls you over, just hold your tongue and listen. Unless you're a really pretty girl and you go, <laughs> and they go, you can go. That doesn't work for us guys, no matter how handsome we are. You ever notice that? It never works. But anyway, but even then, ladies, it'd be better to just show a few tears and not talk, okay? Now, James 1.19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. In Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will 
Come into him and we'll sup with him and he with me. Man, the tongue. We get in so much trouble when we run it. You know, it, it'd be kind of like being out on a lake you never knew before and you, you, you start the engine and you run it. You just run it. Just going. Go, go, go. Pretty soon you find out you end up where you never, you're like, where am I at? I should have stopped this thing a long time ago. And that's the way it is with our tongue. Get out in the middle. So nowhere, we don't even know where we're at. How we got here. And I don't know about you, some of the worst situations I've ever found myself in the world, and I've said this before, is because of that right there. And I'm going, oh. And I lay awake at night in my bed going, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm going to have to confront this person. I'm going to have to do this. Because I, I was too abrupt with my tongue. And let me tell you, I fight it every day. I had to deal with something this afternoon, just today. Just today before the service, I got kind of short with somebody here. And I had to apologize to them. Holy Spirit got on me and said, what are you doing? Right there. Right there. That was the problem, wasn't it? You say, no, it wasn't. It was because you, you were running to get to prayer meeting. I, oh, no, it's because you had so much on your mind. Oh, it's because you... It's because I didn't control this. This is the problem, really. And you know what? That's true with all of us, isn't it? I mean, I didn't, I didn't cuss or say anything bad. I don't mean, some of you guys are thinking it because that's what you do. But, but you know... <clears throat> Anyway, okay, when should, when, when should we open our mouth? Here they are real quick. So, okay, we know we shouldn't. We've got to hold our tongue sometimes, okay? That's important. But when should you open your mouth? When should I open my mouth? To confess sin. You've got to open your mouth to confess sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Confess sin. Number two, we should open our mouths to encourage others. To encourage others. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the Bible says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love, to love, to love, and to good works. Not to provoke to anger. Provoke to love and to good works. And I know you can do this thing. I know you can do this. Really? You think so? Absolutely. I understand you've not gone soul winning much, but I guarantee you, you'll be okay. Come out with me. Provoke to love and to good works. Not, oh yeah, last time I was out, they slammed the door in my face, called me every name in the book. You want to go with me? (laughs) You know what I mean? That's not what we're talking about right there. That's not encouraging others. Honestly, I told the guys, one of the guys said something about, yeah, I got the door slammed in my face. Uh, you know, or something was teasing at, at one of our meetings and said something about the door getting slammed in the face. Yeah, I've had that happen a few times. And I said, that never happens to me. I said, that never happens to me. At least the last, I can't remember the last time that happened to me. And then they went, well, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I'm saying. I thought, what am I thinking? Don't know what? Agree with the what? Fullness folly. But anyway, that's right. So I couldn't say that because then I would be, I'd be like, you but they weren't, they weren't really doing it. I, I'm, I wasn't, you know. I can't remember which one of you guys said that. But anyway, so I, you're lucky I don't remember that. But, but uh, the fact is, is that, you know, we need to encourage one another, guys. Let's encourage each other. Let's encourage them, you know. Oh, we're going to go to church tonight. You want to come with me? It's going to be awesome. We've got the choir singing. But you're not, oh, yeah, probably nobody will be there. You know, there's a bunch of people out of town, a lot of sickness. You know, that nursery, I wouldn't bring my kid for the next month. <laughs> you know, that's really positive. That's encouraging. But number three, when should we open our mouth? 
to praise the Lord. And, and you could take the time to read Psalm 150. Man, what a wonderful thing. We're to praise Him everywhere, all the time, and everything. That's not always easy, but it's a reality. And we ought to use our tongue. We ought to let people know that we love the Lord and that He's worthy of our praise. And finally, finally, number four, to confess sin, to encourage others, to praise the Lord, and, and, and to warn sinners. We need to open our, our mouths. We need, to, we need to, to let people know the need for Christ in their life. Simple stuff. Real basic, what we, we should open our mouths for versus what we shouldn't. And, and honestly, nobody in the room, I know we, we all know these things. We do. It's good to be reminded. I know for me it is. And that's why uh, that little sheet on the back, you might want to throw that in your Bible somewhere. You may want to put it somewhere. and Just remind yourself because it's easy to slip up on these things. And then remember when to open our mouths. Let's confess sin readily, consistently. Let's encourage others constantly. Let's praise the Lord everywhere and all the time. And let's warn sinners opening our mouths, using our tongue for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and not as a tool of Satan. Boy, that tongue's a horrible thing. It's, a, it's set on fire of hell, the Bible says. And that's true in all of our lives. It's not just true in my life. It's not just true in your life. It's true in all of our lives. Let's be very careful. And we can laugh about it. We can joke about it. We can say things. That, but, but it is a very serious matter, though. It's very serious. And, and I don't know. I said, let's have a raise of hands of how many people have seen people that have really been hurt by the tongue somehow, whether it was you or somebody else that said something. Man, every one of us would raise our hands high and say, yeah. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. You know that's not true. Every one of us know that's not true from experience at some point. Now, it may not leave a mark on our body, but it definitely leaves a mark in our hearts. So let's be very careful that we let the Lord Jesus use our tongues. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for all you do for us. And Lord, thank you for these.